welcome Jacob Israel, white nationalists, patriots everywhere, all those who are concerned about the, uh, what should we call it, the destruction of the white race at the hands of the medical mafia that is going on today. How's it going down south, Dan? Are, are people lining up to get shot like they are here in Illinois? Well, I'm not sure about that because I haven't gone near any place that's giving away shots. But I can tell you everybody here is still pretty obsessed with wearing masks everywhere. Oh, wow. Com okay. Yeah. Compared to I was in Georgia last weekend and um, mm -hmm. I know I went in one store and there were probably half the people in there weren't weren't wearing masks. But down right. here, when you go to a store, I'm still about the only one who doesn't wear a mask. Uh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think the same is true here in Chicago. It's very, especially the big corporate stores, they require everybody to wear a mask. And they may escort you out if you don't, <laughs> which is, so it's corporate law. It's international law it is corporate law, okay? It's, mm -hmm. it's not American law. And obviously <clears throat> the American people, the vast majority of them, are not able to make a distinction between the the law of the land, the Constitution, and this international corporate law, which you know, so, you know, we tell you what to do, you obey. <laughs> That's where we're at, folks. It's total mm -hmm. dictatorship. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So we're. I don't think it's going to end, Dan. I think we're going to. It's just going to get worse. And this um, voluntary uh, masking, voluntary uh, shot taking. Uh, will come to a close uh, those people uh, by the way they have taken the mark of the beast once they take that shot which is full of dna altering junk then they have taken the mark of the beast and they're they're gone okay as far as the bible is concerned uh, there's no way they're getting into the kingdom okay so it's over for them so you know, uh, you know, when uh, Tony and I were out there demonstrating at the United Center, which was, you know, shot central in Chicago, uh, we, all we could do is shake our heads and, and mourn that so many of our people are dumb, gullible, stupid, mm. you know, whatever you want to say. But they are sheeple. You know, they simply accept whatever authority claims to be authority, right? And then uh, and they uh, go along, which includes lots and lots of Christians, <laughs> Lots and lots of Christians. So when they switch from the voluntary phase to, okay, we're going to make you take the shot. What are you going to do about it? That's when the revolution is going to start. So it's not going to get any better, folks. So be prepared. Prepare yourself for the worst because the worst is coming. All right. Anyway, be that as it may. Well, speaking of the worst, the worst short of death happened to Dinah in Genesis chapter 34. And we're going to do the story of, of Dinah and Jacob and the two sons that uh, tried to avenge the rape. Okay, so uh, let's pick it up. Oh, yeah, <clears throat> pick it up at uh, Genesis 34, 1, if you would, please, Dan. Okay, 34, 1. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Okay, so she... went out, let me, excuse me, uh, <clears throat> to go to go uh, causatively bring out in a great variety of applications, literally and figuratively direct or approximate. So she, uh, she left the confines of uh, the tents of Jacob. Did she do this 
on her own without clearing it with her dad? Did she sneak out? We don't know. Okay, so that's that's left unspecified in Genesis chapter uh, verse one. Okay, anyway, she she wanted the companionship of other teenage girls, <laughs> right? Okay, we can assume that much. Back to you. Verse two, and when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her, and his soul clave in clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the damsel, and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field. And Jacob held his peace until they were come. Okay, so this, uh, why did Jacob hold his peace? Uh, a lot of questioning of Jacob's <clears throat> reaction to Dinah's rape. Because uh, he apparently sat around and did nothing for quite a long time, and so. But I think uh, it's uh, uh, hard to say whether you know. Some people have accused him of cowardice. Some people say, well, he didn't care enough for his daughter Dinah. You know, all kinds of things that he's been accused of. In because, uh, of course, Jacob was a trickster, right? <laughs> so, so this time the joke's on him. And uh, he'd been thoroughly criticized for his failure to act, you know. And so I think the question is, well, what could he do under the circumstances? Uh, you, you can't just jump in recklessly and start a war, you know, with, with the people of Shechem. There's only 12 of them, right? So he only had 12 sons. <clears throat> so it would be a very uh, foolish thing to do to, to simply react out of anger, even though he was probably very angry. You know, I would expect that. But uh, he was in a very difficult situation. Okay, back to you. Verse 6, And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. <clears throat> and the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved, and they were very wroth, because he had brought folly in Israel in line with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And Hamor communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you give him, give her him to wife, and make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein, and get you possessions therein. Okay, so uh, Jacob was uh, invited to become a Canaanite, <laughs> right? Yeah. All of this was a violation of mm -hmm. Israel's racial laws, right? And, but he can't—he can't say that mm -hmm. to the people of Shechem. They—they they would probably be offended, you know. But uh, I think he says, "Oh no, I just can't do that." All right, it's not. We can just simply say it's not part of our tradition, right? And those mm -hmm. traditions of different tribes and peoples were ultimately very much respected. Okay. In fact, Jacob had to respect Laban's, whether it was a family tradition or he just made it up, that I have to marry off the elder daughter first. And so he pulled the bait and switch and substituted uh, Leah for Rachel. Okay, so, uh, so, so uh, you have to respect the uh, traditions of the local tribes, whoever they are. And so I think uh, Jacob was at least doing that much. Okay, back to you. Verse 11, <clears throat> And Shechem said unto her father and unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what ye shall say unto me I will give. 
Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father deceitfully, and said, Because he had defiled their sister. And they said unto them, We cannot do this thing, to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that were a reproach unto us. Okay. But in this... Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's interesting. He he said a half-truth, okay? They're uncircumcised. Well, of course they're uncircumcised, but they're the wrong race, right? So, but whenever you... You, you never know what can go wrong. You know, he's telling the truth, but not the whole truth. And he should have said, okay, well, we have a tradition that uh, we do not intermarry. With, well, he should have, shouldn't have said Canaanites, because that would have offended them, with other tribes. Mm-hmm. You know, we only intermarry with, with certain tribes, and uh, you're not one of them, <laughs> right? So how do you tell this to people without them being offended, right? So this is the predicament he was in. Back to you. Verse 15, but in, this we will, but in this will we consent unto you, if you will be as we be, that every male of you be circumcised. Then we, will we give our daughters unto you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we okay. will dwell with you, and we will become one people. Now that is a, a, an absolute <clears throat> falsehood, you know, to make that statement, okay? So uh, the Israelites could not do that. And uh, so, but but let's read on. Verse 17, but if ye will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. And the young man deferred not to, to do the thing because he had delight in Jacob's daughter. And he was more honorable than all of all the house of his father. Okay, so he was an honorable, well, more honorable Canaanite, right? Uh, relatively honorable Canaanite. Back to you. Verse 20. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came unto the gate of their city and communed with the men of their city, saying, These men are peaceable with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade therein. For the land, behold, it is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us for wives. And let us give them our daughters. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Only herein will the men consent unto us for to dwell with us, to be one people, if every male among us be circumcised, as they are circumcised. Shall not their cattle and their substance and every beast of theirs be ours? Only let us consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. Okay. I... I... I wonder if Jacob thought, Jacob and his sons thought they would actually circumcise themselves and say, wow, you know, I, I want to go through it. You have to go through this painful ritual <laughs> in order to join our company. And lo and behold, they did it. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. That's why you have to be honest and straightforward with people or just say, as Yahshua says in the New Testament, uh, don't don't make up any stories. Just say yay or nay. Just say yes or no and leave it at that. Back to you. Verse 24. And unto Hamor and unto Shechem his son hearkened all that went out of the gate of his city. And every male were circumcised, all that went out of the gate of his city. And it came to pass on the third day when they were sore that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword, and came upon the city boldly, and slew all the males. 
And they slew Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, ye have troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. All right, okay, so I think this pretty much gives us a clue as to Jacob's state of mind here. He was afraid of being, you know, uh, <clears throat> attacked by by the Canaanites and having his whole house destroyed. So uh, I think that pretty much explains it, but uh, scholars don't accept that answer. <laughs> right, so we'll go into it right after this last verse. All right, final verse. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's a good question. So um, our, our, our sister was defiled by, by the Shechemites, and uh, they wanted vengeance. But uh, Jacob delayed vengeance. He, he was probably thinking, what, what do we do? What can we possibly do here? So let's go to a commentary on this chapter and the rape of Dinah and how, you know, why, what did, uh, you know, what was uh, Jacob's state of mind here? Was he a coward that he didn't want to fight against them? Uh, I wouldn't say he was a coward. He was just, you know, weighing his options and assessing, you know, how big a, 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 a city-state is Shechem? Is there, can we go to war with them or not? Okay. So, yeah, uh, Brother Eber says uh, Shechem was a Canaanite for sure. The Hivites were the sixth generation descendants of Canaan, the incestuous son of Ham. Yes, very good. So, uh, yeah, and so <laughs> Dinah wanted to go to the mall <laughs> and, and, and go shopping. You know, there probably was a, um, you know, a shopping area inside the city, and she wanted to see what it was all about, okay? <clears throat> so yeah, that, that's the uh, temptation. Plus, I'm sure she wanted companionship uh, of other you know, uh, I guess, assuming she's a teenager, uh, companionship of teenage girls, you know, which she didn't have in, in Jacob's family at this time, okay? So let's take a look at this article on on uh, Dinah, and uh, this <laughs> is entitled, um, J- oh, well, so, let me scroll back up to the top. Genesis 34, Jacob's response to Dinah's rape by Mary Jane Chagnol. It's a <clears throat> French name, obviously. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. So let's pick it up toward the end here uh, where she kind of summarizes the situation, okay? Regardless of his feelings toward her, some scholars feel his silence is an indictment on his lack of decisiveness. It's hard to assess his leadership abilities at this point in his life. This incident happens after his night of wrestling with the angel an event that renders him somewhat lame. One commentator describes him as being crippled, suggesting he is no longer a commanding figure. We know that his sons are grown. They are headstrong. Okay, interesting. So uh, <clears throat> suggesting that maybe he's worn out from wrestling with the angel? That's interesting. Never occurred to me. Okay, back to you. 
Shortly after this, his firstborn, Reuben, will lie with Bilhad, Jacob's concubine. Only later in chapter 49, long after the fact, do we read that Jacob is angry and that he lashes out at Reuben. But when the transgression takes place, he has no response, even though there is a note that he had heard about it. Then, like now, he holds his peace. Perhaps he is simply stunned and rendered speechless. Maybe here he feels some guilt in not taking measures to prevent such a thing or in not being a better father to his daughter. We already know that Laban used his daughters to get what he wanted, that he had no compunction about substituting one for the other. That's right. That he, <laughs> that he had little regard for them and never provided either of them with a dowry. Well, that's why uh, uh, Rachel took the so-called gods, right? <laughs> okay, because nevertheless... Uh, because Laban uh, apparently was without a son, uh, Rachel's inheritance and uh, consequently <clears throat> Jacob's inheritance through her of La Laban's estate uh, was she she needed those documents to prove it. Okay, so uh, yeah, and it's pretty obvious that, that Laban was using his daughters carelessly, you know, and he was probably waiting for a son and uh, disregarded his daughters. Therefore, okay, back to you. This is the only daughter tradition that Jacob can draw upon. So it is that in this story involving Dinah and Shechem, we read that Jacob keeps quiet until his sons came home from the fields. Another option is more flattering to Jacob. It is simply this. He uses his amazing restraint. In truth, there probably isn't much he can do as one man. Perhaps he waits for his sons because he wants to consult with them. Perhaps he intends to discuss a rescue attempt or some other plan. There is no opportunity for him to do that, however, because Hamor shows up just as his sons are returning home. <laughs> oh, okay, I got a visitor. <laughs> so he's uh, so Hamor is obviously prepared to offer a dowry for Dinah. Okay, and we just uh, read through you know, the the fact that uh, Shechem really wanted her badly. And, but, hey, the guy, the guy just committed rape, okay, and will a dowry suffice? But, you know, the, obviously there's more to it because our tradition prevents us from intermarrying with Canaanites, and so that complicates the situation, and uh, how do you handle this diplomatically, <laughs> right? That's Jacob's problem here. Back to you. Um. Where did I leave? Okay, regardless of Jacob's restraint, when the sons hear the news, they are outraged, filled with grief and fury. The sons add that Shechem has done a thing that should not be done. In their eyes, Shechem has violated an accepted ethic relating to a sexual matter. The brothers' terms are uncompromising. They do not reject Hamor's offer of trade or land. One might get the impression that they find no fault with the offer to trade together and intermarry. They do, however, insist that the males be circumcised so that they all will become like us. The men of the Hivites can, see, can become like the sons of Jacob through the rite of circumcision. Okay, so this was a false promise. Now, whether uh, Jacob's sons didn't understand the law yet, uh, this was not theirs to offer, okay? Uh, that's a violation of Yahweh's law. So either they didn't understand or they made a false promise, okay? So, uh, in any case, they should not have acted without consulting Jacob first. All right? So, there's a lot of things wrong with this response. Back to you. 
Shechem and his father are only too happy to oblige, and all the men of the city agree to the plan. On the third day, Simeon and Levi put their plan into action. The men of the city are still in pain and unable to defend themselves when the two sons go out and massacre them all. Later, the other brothers loot the city where their sister has been defiled. They seize the flocks, herds, and donkeys, and everything else in the city and out in the fields. They carry off all the wealth and all the women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. But what about Jacob? Apparently, he is not involved. Is it possible that he does not know what is happening? Yes, it is. In a time when sons go off for days at a time to pasture and water sheep, he might not have known. After the fact, we read that he is upset with them. But a quick look at the reason for his temper is telling. He's upset because they are a small tribe. And the actions of Simeon and Levi have put the whole family at risk of attack from other tribes. He uses the phrase, you have brought trouble on me by making a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites, (laughs) the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. Where is his protest against against breaking a contract with the Hivites? How about abusing the right of circumcision? How about expressing concern for the safety and well-being of his daughter? Well, yeah, I mean, the the Bible doesn't record much of that. Uh, It doesn't provide us with his mental state. In in many uh, uh, scriptural passages, we are provided with that, okay? But that's uh, that's absent in this case. So, so about these questions the author is asking, what what breaking contract? That was an illegitimate contract. You know, uh, she doesn't realize there's a racial segregation law in Israel. She just assumes that, uh, you know, what's wrong with that? Okay, so uh, this is a real delicate situation for Jacob, and uh, I think he just uh, wants to avoid confrontation at this point, but but his sons uh, deprive him of that possibility. Back to you. Nothing is mentioned other than his concern that the actions of Simeon and Levi will make him stink among the neighbors, putting the family at risk for retaliation. While we might appreciate the fact that Jacob is concerned about the safety of his family, he does it at Dinah's expense. Well, that's a little harsh because, you know, he's he's weighing his options. Did we go to war with the entire city of Shechem? Okay, you know, sometimes... Sometimes uh, justice is uh, denied and or and or deferred. Okay, so I think that's the situation here. Back to you. The final verse in this story is Simeon and Levi's retort to Jacob. He has just admonished them, and they reply, "Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? It is highly doubtful that Shechem thought of her as a prostitute. He loved her dearly and would have done anything to have her legitimately. It is the brothers who label her as a prostitute." Once that has been voiced, the damage has been done. They act on their principles regardless of the consequences. Yeah, obviously this author is not aware of the racial segregation laws. You know, there is no way that uh, they could have done this legitimately. Okay? It was rape, plain and simple. And so uh, Jacob had to figure out how to you know, get justice for Dinah, if possible. Okay? Sometimes it's not possible. So, uh, again, uh, unless you have the uh, perspective of Christian identity 
and are aware of the racial segregation laws, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 7, we cannot take sons of uh, uh, the Canaanites for our daughters. We cannot take the daughters of the Canaanites for our sons, period. That's the law, okay? Jacob was surely aware of this law, but was in a quandary as what to do about Dinah's rape, okay? So, again, this shows that we in identity have more, because we studied history and know about uh, the, the segregation laws, uh, we can you know, judge the situation better than any Judeo-Christian or someone, I don't know who Mary Jane Chagnaud is, uh, any uh, arbitrary commentator of, uh, you know, from their perspective, you know, uh, her perspective is, well, you know, why not allow them to get married? You know, what's the big deal? Okay, so uh, it happens all the time, right? <laughs> so, so in other words, uh, would the dowry, would paying a dowry make it a, well, it's a case of rape one way or another, but would that dowry make up for the rape is the, is the question. Well, not in the minds of the sons, yeah, but we're not told what uh, what Jacob was thinking at this point. Okay, so uh, again, uh, the uh, the mind of uh, the uh, actor in Scripture is not always given to us, and uh, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But we can't be condemning Jacob. He, he was in a very difficult situation diplomatically, and uh, plus, uh, if the if the lady is right that he's still smarting from his wrestling with the angel, he was. You know, whenever you're in pain, you have difficulty. You don't want to make a, a decision when you're in pain. It, it impairs your ability to think, etc., etc. Okay. So again, here Jacob is being judged harshly yet again, and j- nobody ever judges Esau harshly except those of us in identity who know what he really is. Okay. All right. So. All right, so let's go to Genesis 35. Chapter 35, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. What? They, had, us... they had strange gods? <laughs> Was he aware of this? Okay. Uh, so what was going on here? Okay. So maybe, you know, maybe he just assumed they were, you know, sneaking, uh, you know, idols among themselves. I don't know. But anyway, uh, mm-hmm. back to you. Verse 3. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob (laughs) hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is, Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. And the name of it was called Alan Bakuth. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Pandanaram and blessed him. 
And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be called, shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. Amen. And the and the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee I will give it. And to thy seed after thee will I give the land. Okay, this expression, and to thy seed after thee, is very important. That means direct descendants. No outsiders can be uh, grafted in, <laughs> as Paul is falsely uh, understood, where he talks about that in Roman, in Romans. And we don't have that decision. It's, it's a covenant, it's a racial covenant between Yahweh and the direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Back to you. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Okay, hold on one second. Uh, trying to, I think there was a reference to Bethlehem that uh, we missed. No, it's not Bethel. Um, hmm. Okay. Somehow, uh, I thought there was a reference to. Maybe it was uh, by a different name. That uh, is it. Okay. Say Bethlehem Ephrata. Okay. Well, did. Did he talk about Ephrath in the, in this chapter? Maybe in this chapter. I, yeah, we're we're getting to that in verse nineteen. We are okay. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Actually, in verse sixteen. Here we All go. Right. Oh, next verse. Okay. Yep. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. Okay, Ephrath is Bethlehem. Okay. Okay, it's Bethlehem. And uh, later on, we find it's called Bethlehem Ephratah, but its original name was Ephrath. Uh, I think it means fruitful. Yeah, yeah, it does mean fruitfulness. Ephrath, another name for Bethlehem, once used in Psalm 132.6, perhaps for Ephraim, possibly, but it means fertile. Uh, but uh, it's also a ref direct reference to the town of Bethlehem. So guess what? Who was born in Bethlehem? <laughs> Benjamin. Okay, back to you. Verse 17. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the mid... Oops. Fear not, okay. thou shalt have a son also. And okay. it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Okay, so and Benoni... Rachel died. And Benoni means son of my sorrow, Ben-Oni, the original name of Benjamin. So she wanted to call, probably because she was in great pain during labor, during the labor of, of birthing Benjamin, okay? But uh, but Jacob decided otherwise, uh, he, he gave him a new name, and that is Benjamin, and what does that mean? Ben-Yomene, son of the right hand, uh, son of the right hand. Well, I mean, the right hand is the hand of power, so maybe that's what he meant uh, when he named him Benjamin. Okay, but he's no longer known as Benoni. Back to you. Verse 19, And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, 
which is Bethlehem. Oh, there it says it right out. Ja- yeah, okay. Yep. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. And the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him in Pandanaram. And Jacob came unto Isaac, his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were a hundred and fourscore years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. That's interesting. So Jacob and Esau had uh, various, let's not call them confrontations, but meetings uh, throughout uh, until the death of Isaac. So, uh, but Esau... Jacob could never trust Esau because Esau hated Jacob, okay? And it's, it's obvious that uh, when Jacob returned from uh, Laban's flock, Laban's household, that uh, Esau, Esau's company vastly outnumbered Jacob and his 12 sons. So I think Jacob rightly feared having a confrontation with Esau, but Esau was sometimes, <laughs> he was off and on, sometimes acting friendly, sometimes not. So Jacob had to be careful, okay? It's also possible that Jacob did not understand that Yahweh was with him, and you know, if they were unjustly attacked, Yahweh would protect him and his family. Maybe he didn't realize that yet, okay? So anyway, uh, you, you, can't, you can psychoanalyze Jacob all we want. Uh, he basically does what he has to do, all right? Back to you. Oh, okay, and these are, now Esau, Esau's descendants. Okay, very good. And, and we can see from this chapter that, that Israel is a people. It's yeah. not uh, a land. You know, right. Israel is uh, the descendants of Jacob. His name that, was just changed. That's true. That's true today, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Israel exactly. is a people, not a country. Back to you. Chapter Especially that, that stinking little piece of desert in the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 36. Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Ohelabimah, the daughter of Anah, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, and Bashemath, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nebajoth. And Ada bare to Esau Eliphaz, and Bashemath bare Ruel, and Aholabamah, Bear Jeush and Jalem and Korah. These are the sons of Esau which were born unto him in the land of Canaan. Okay, so let me just point out a potential problem here. So Bashamath bore Ruel. Okay, I think um, uh, Moses' father in law was also called Ruel, whether that's a name or a title. Um, okay, in fact, that they, what they say here. So there's confusion here. Think you know, some people confuse. In fact, it does. I'm looking at the definition here. 
Reuala, Reuala, something like that. Friend of God. Now, if they're Canaanites, it's not Yahweh. (laughs) It's some other God, okay? Ruel, the name of Moses' father-in-law, also of an Edomite and an Israelite, Raguel and Ruel. Okay, so we have to make sure we don't get these people confused with one another because Moses' father-in-law was not a Canaanite. He was a Midianite descended from Abraham's wife, Keturah. Okay, so a lot of people do sloppy research and they make the assumption that uh, Moses married a, a Canaanite woman. He did not. Back to you. Verse 6, And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all his beasts and all his substance, which he had got in the land of Canaan, and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. For their riches were more than that they might dwell together, and the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Mm-hmm. Esau is are- Edom. Edomites, folks. Anybody here it says it right here, 36, 8. The, the descendants of Esau are now Edomites. And the Jewish modern encyclopedia says that Edom is in modern Jewry. There you go. <laughs> yes. Okay. Verse 9. And these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau. Reuel, the son of Beshemath, the wife of Esau. And the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, and Gatam, and Kenaz. And Timnah was concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son. And she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. Ooh. Yeah. These were the the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. And these are the sons of Ruel, Nahath, and Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These were the sons of Beshemath, Esau's wife. Now, are you aware that uh, there's a lot of rabbis going on YouTube and other media claiming that we white people are Amalekites. No, I haven't heard yeah, about that. Yeah, so people have been uh, contacting me, asking me about that. No, it's the other way around. <laughs> okay, it's just more Jewish lies, right? The exact opposite of what they say. Amen. Usually. Yep. Verse 14, And these were the sons of Aholabama, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zibion, Esau's wife. And she bare to Esau Jeush and Jaalam and Korah. These were the dukes of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn son of Esau, Duke Teman, Duke Omar, Duke Zepho, Duke Kenaz. Okay, so this is is the first instance of the word duke. And obviously, let's see, uh, the Hebrew word is... Aloof. Okay, so in English it's aloof, you know, the word that we use for aloof meaning uh, haughty. Okay, I don't know. Uh, But it means familiar, a friend, also gentle, hence a bullock as being tame. And so a chieftain. Okay, so I don't know how you get chieftain from these words gentle and tame, (laughs) right? But chieftain. So Duke, so this is the origin of, of the word Duke, and maybe, uh, who knows if that's a title they made up for themselves, but uh, this is our first instance of the word Duke in history. Back to you. 
Verse 16, Duke Korah, Duke Gatam, and Duke Amalek. These are the dukes that came of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These were the sons of Ada. Okay, so you can tell these rabbis, uh, just consult Genesis 36, <laughs> and uh, you'll find out where they're true or who the Amalekites really are. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 17, and these are the sons of Reuel, Esau's son, Duke Nahath, Duke Zerah, Duke Shammah, Duke Mizah. These are the dukes that came out of Reuel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Bashamath, Esau's wife. Oh, here's another possible source of confusion, Zerah, right? Pharaoh's and Zerah, you don't want to com confuse those two, right? You have to keep these people straight. And uh, uh, in, in general, we know that the descendants of Cain, which include uh, the, uh, the, the um, well, they were called Kenites in Scripture, uh, they married into, uh, be, became the Canaanites uh, because Canaan married into them and became their overlord. And then likewise with Esau, when he married into them, he became their overlord. And that's why they're named Edom. Okay, back to you. And these are the sons of Aholabamas, Esau's wife, Duke Jeush, Duke Jaalam, Duke Korah. These were the dukes that came out of Aholabama, the daughter of Anna, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, who is Edom, and these are their dukes. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, who inhabited the land, Lotan and Shobal and Zibion and Anna. And Dishon and Ezer and Dishan, these are the dukes of the Horites, the children of Seir in the land of Edom. And the children of Lotan were Hori and Heman, Hemam. And Lotan's sister was Timnah. And the children of Shobal were these, Alvin and Manahath and Ebal and Shepo and Onam. And these are the children of Zibion, both Aja and Anah, that this was that Ana that found the mules in the wilderness as he fed the asses of Zibion, his father. And the children of Ana were these, Dishon and Aholabama, the daughter of Ana. It's interesting that uh, so many female names are being given regarding to you know, the, the Edomites and Canaanites. Uh, uh, pro, uh, profuse. Uh, profusely giving us the names of the women of Edom, uh, but uh, that's quite rare when discussing the Israelites. Okay, every once in a while we get we get the name of the wife, but here we're giving many. Now maybe this is because uh, the Edomites worshipped female goddesses. Okay, and that uh, that's this tradition, and this is why the Jews reckon their families uh, through the descent of the mother not the father. So maybe this is why it's, it's certainly important to the Jews. <laughs> okay. More proof. That was, yeah, go ahead. That was my question, as, as I was going to ask. Uh, could it be because of the, the genealogy stemming from the mother in, in, in Jewish uh, yes, tradition. tradition? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, but here we are. Where we're given all of these female names that uh, are pretty much absent you know, for most of the recorded history of Israel, except for the queens, you know, that, that come up occasionally. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, women, you know, like in the genealogy of Yahshua, well, uh, such as Ruth and uh, Rahab and others, 
but only to show that they are uh, pure-blooded Adamites and not uh, must be distinguished from the children of Esau. Back to you. Verse 26, and these are the children of Deshan, Hemdan, and Eshban, and Ithran, and Shiran. These are the children of Ezer, are these. The children of Ezer are these, Bilhan, and Zaavan, and Achan. The children of Deshan are these, Uz, and Aaron. These are the dukes that came out of the Horites, Duke Lotan, Duke Shobel, Duke Zibion, Duke Ana. I, I wonder if the if the Jewish gun Uzi is named after this guy Uz. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Yeah. Duke Dishon, Duke Ezer, Duke Dishon. Oh, it's the difference in spelling. D I S H O N D I S H A N. A N, yeah. Yeah. Right. These are the dukes that came out that came of Hori among their dukes in the land of Seir. And these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before they reigned any king over the children of Israel. And Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Denhaba. And Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Bozrah, reigned in his stead. And Jobab died, and, and Husham of the land of Tamani reigned in his stead. And Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who smote Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his stead, and the name of his city was Avith. And Hadad died, and Samla of Mashrika reigned in his stead. And Samla died, and Saul of Rehoboth by the river reigned in his stead. And Saul died, and Baalahanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his stead. And Baalhanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar reigned in his stead. And the name of his city was Pau, and his wife's name was Mahetabel, and the, the daughter of Matrid, the daughter of Mezahab. And these are the names of the dukes that came of Esau, according to their families, after their places, by their names, Duke Timnah, Duke Alva, Duke Jetheth. Duke Aholabama, Duke Elah, Duke Pinon, Duke Kenaz, Duke Teman, Duke Mibzar, Duke Magdal, Duke Iram. These be the dukes of Edom, according to their habitations in the land of their possession. He is Esau, the father of the Edomites. Okay, so we're, these are the direct sons of Esau himself. We're given the, uh, the, the Canaanites now being named Edomites under the uh, authority to what extent we don't know because uh, these tribes these canaanite tribes were pretty much independent they all had their uh, own city-states but it's evident that they recognized esau as one of their number and uh, no longer uh, of of uh, jacob israel okay so uh, the the split between jacob and esau is complete uh, esau is Edomite slash Canaanite henceforth, and his children are reckoned among the Canaanite tribes, period. Okay, but this is about it in terms of the genealogy of the Edomites. Uh, we're not given uh, much indication of their descendants, you know, the names and the line of descent. So this is pretty much it in terms of who these people are. But the important thing for our people to understand is these people 
henceforth became the enemies of Israel. And, uh, and actually they were before, but from now on until the present day, these people are our enemies and they intend to destroy us. That's history, folks. <laughs> That's history, okay? All right, so um, uh, now the next chapter deals with Joseph's dreams. So let's get into it a little bit because this is very good stuff. Back to you. Chapter 37, <clears throat> And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock <clears throat> with his brethren, and the lad was the sons was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Yeah, wow, jealousy. Yeah. Great jealousy. Okay, well, now Jacob, here again, uh, Jacob was should have been a little more discreet, right? And not elevated Joseph, uh, but he couldn't help himself because Rachel was the woman he truly loved, okay? And he was just thrilled when she gave birth to Joseph. So it's understandable, but he should have been more diplomatic in dealing with his son, Joseph, vis-a-vis -vis his brethren. He should have been, okay? So Jacob did make mistakes, no doubt about it, as we all do. Back to you. Verse 5. And Joseph <clears throat> dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he said unto them, Here, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and, lo, my sheaf arose and stood also, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to go across. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you, you can see their rage bubbling over when they're listening <laughs> to this. Wow. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for yeah. his words. Yeah, well, they understood the meaning of his dreams, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. All right? Okay. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And, behold, the sun and moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him, saying, and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> yep, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Right. And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. Yeah, but so even Jacob rebuked him saying what, what are you talking about you're gonna i'm gonna bow down to you you yes. kid what are you talking <laughs> yeah, about right. yeah. maybe he was beginning to regret having joseph at this <laughs> point <laughs> so uh, but crazy stuff absolutely crazy stuff but obviously yahweh put the words in joseph's mouth because these is a prophecy that would be fulfilled okay we have about five minutes left and uh so we know the story how this turns out and these prophecies will come true 
And you know, when you're talking uh, brothers, they just blurt things out. They, they don't. Uh, they don't consider the feelings of their brothers and sisters. They just say stuff. You know how it. If you have brothers and sisters, you know this very well. And uh, they don't hold back when they talk to each other. So and then, well, here's the, the other eleven. Oh, by the way, yeah. Let me. I, I shouldn't ignore this. Stars. The other eleven stars. Okay. The tribes of Israel are referred to as stars, as they are in Revelation chapter 12, the 12 stars above the head of the woman, okay? Here is the precedent for that. Okay, so Joseph sold by his brothers. I think we have time to go into a little bit of this story. Okay. Okay, all right, here you go, verse 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and, behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. <laughs> this dreamer. Okay. <laughs> Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rig rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Okay, and they sat down. Yeah, it's important to note here that Reuben intended to come back and, and, get him, yeah. and save him. Okay, back to you. Verse 25, and they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going down, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Wow. So they were fully intent on murdering Joseph. Okay. Amazing. That's some pretty big big jealousy right there. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph unto Egypt. Okay, so there's all kinds of people involved here. We have Ishmaelites, we have Midianites, we have Canaanites, right? And uh, But uh, it already presents to us the fact that Egypt 
was a major commercial center for trading, and so that all of these other groups, the Ishmaelites, Midianites, and others, obviously the Canaanites as well, uh, traded heavily with Egypt. Okay, so the whoever ruled Egypt at this point in time was a very powerful regent, and of course we know going back even into prehistory, Egypt was a very powerful nation, but even more so because eventually this drought is going to happen. So and then Joseph was instrumental in that. Okay, I think that's all we have time for today, uh, Brother Dan. Thanks uh, for okay. the narration, and Thank we will you. see you all next week. Praise Yahweh! Pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Amen. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.